2: And on today's show, we're breaking with the normal format just a bit. I'm currently working on a book that I'll be putting out at some point this year. And in describing the book and discussing it with the team here, we thought it might make for a great podcast episode as well. And I agreed to it because I thought it might help me get through the writer's block I was complaining about that sparked this whole thing. So that's what we'll be doing today. My producer, Eric, and I are going to go and discuss the book at a high level, and I'll preview some of the concepts covered and just try my best not to blow it and give it all away early. So with that, Eric with an A, why don't you get us started, sir?
3: Malcolm, Malcolm, it is about time. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Here's the thing is that you gave a teaser about this book at the end of season two or excuse me, season Mm -hmm. one. We're in season two now. So the end of season one, you were kind of teasing the book. I'm looking forward to it. I'm. I'm actually really excited you're doing the podcast today this way because this is even a, a bigger teaser until the book is ready. Uh, but uh, I know you've been diligently working on it, so I'm, I'm excited to get started.
2: Yeah, all I'm right. kind of thinking about it the same way as, as you see a, a comedian go on stage 100 times to work out material before they finally record go. the Netflix special. That yeah. that That's the way I thought about it and said, all right, it won't hurt. I, I, can, I can listen to these folks and, and, and see what comes of it.
3: All right. So let's just get started. We're going to talk about some of those basics, some of the things that you're covering in there. Um, And and the first one is to pay yourself first. And I've heard that before, but from your perspective, what does that mean?
2: Yeah. So that's true. People say that all the time, especially folks in my position, financial planners and and, and other uh, financial professionals will say, pay yourself first, but then there aren't really any instructions that come along with that that statement, it's just kind of, you're supposed to know what it means. Um, it's kind of like saying mind your manners, like what in the heck does that mean? <laughs> um, so what I mean very specifically is before you pay any expenses or make any discretionary purchases, you have to put something away for yourself. So as cliche as it can sound, the mantra of, of paying yourself uh, First is a tough one to learn, Mm -hmm. because a lot of times we're taught to pay your bill collectors or pay your debtors or anybody that you owe money to. You want to get them squared away first so that they're not bugging you about owing them more money. But in my humble opinion, you're actually shortchanging yourself by paying those bill collectors and those everybody else before you put something into your savings account and and take care of yourself um, so it's hard to break that habit like I said it's something that we get taught as kids and uh, young adults right if you don't pay your bills on time you're irresponsible or lazy or otherwise some kind of bad and then by the time you become an adult rule number one of managing your finances to pay your bills no matter what and so I'm not saying don't pay your bills get behind on them uh, and, and let the, the, the debts pile up or get into arrears what I am saying is if you have an emergency fund, for example, or you're trying to build up an emergency fund and that that number is twenty thousand dollars, let's say that you're trying to hit. Before any of your paycheck goes into your main checking account and goes toward paying your regular expenses, you should be contributing one hundred, two hundred, five hundred, whatever you can afford into your emergency savings account, first and foremost. You should also be contributing on an automatic basis into your retirement savings account, as an example. So if you've got a 401k where you work, hopefully Mm -hmm. the majority of people listening to this do, you should have dollars going into that 401k account before money comes into your pocket that allows you to do all the other things that you, there's a reason that they do payroll deductions in that way, right? The IRS gets theirs before you ever even get yours. They withhold taxes from your check. So the IRS gets paid before you get yours. Why would you not treat yourself the same way that you treat the IRS, right?
3: True. I, I mean, nobody likes to pay their taxes. <laughs> I right. don't like, but you know, Uncle Sam's taking that first. He's going to pay himself first uh, exactly. you know, before you get your money. So, I mean, that makes sense. So, just a follow up question is there a percentage that you look at? Or I know everybody's individualized, people that are just starting their career, it's going to be, you know, maybe tougher. Uh, than people that are more well-established, but to get that habit, do you have any advice there as far as quantity?
2: Yeah, so this book is actually called The 10 Financial Commandments, and then the subheading is for high-earning young professionals. So we are assuming that people have quite a bit of wiggle room in there because they're high earners and so i'm not going to let them off the hook the way you just started to by saying well maybe you don't have as much you're starting out early if you picked up this book or you tapped on it on your kindle or whatever i'm assuming that this spoke to you Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. to answer your question more directly there's this concept of being what they call a super saver which is anybody who is putting uh double digits away on an annual basis double digits obviously anything from 10 and above I consider that to be somewhere around the fifteen percent range as a base gets you into the super saver club. And so, if you are contributing, say, ten percent of your gross pay to your four hundred one k, your retirement plan, and you're a high earner, a person who's maybe a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred thousand dollars is your uh, annual income, you're automatically hitting that number, that fifteen percent mm-hmm. number. Now, if you take it a step beyond and say, I'm either going to save into a, a regular A brokerage account where I invest those dollars in stocks or ETFs or something, or I'm going to throw it into a high yield savings account because I prefer cash or whatever your your thinking is any additional amount that you do above and beyond that 10% that's going into your 401k gets you into the super savers club. So 15% would be the target that I would recommend as a base. But for the folks who created the, the concept of being a super saver. They say 10% is the number. And, and I, honestly, I'd say if you're figuring out a way to go above and beyond that 10, you're headed in the right direction and you'll probably get to the 15 plus that I'm talking about at some point anyway.
3: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, the name of this podcast is Tech Money and, and mm-hmm. we all love tech. Uh, I'm a geek. I don't know. Uh, and, and, <laughs> <right, exactly, laughs> and tech people love money. Exactly. And tech people love money. The second thing is automate everything. And mm-hmm. it's so easy today to do that. So what's your advice there?
2: yeah so number number two automate everything kind of lends itself to uh what i was just saying about mm-hmm. paying yourself first right it allows you to take away the human element that messes us up and says i see that x dollars ha- have come in this month but dot 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 and that but always gets us in trouble and so it's the thing that we say i, I was on pace to contribute 15 percent." Uh, But I'm going to stop this automatic contribution that's going into my savings account just for this month because I want to buy blah, blah, blah. And automating this allows you to make sure that that doesn't happen. Also, what happens the way that I think about my own money as a a, a regular person and then also the way that I kind of help clients think about this is when you automate your savings and you automate your investments and you automate your bill paying it allows you the comfort of knowing that any dollars that show up in your checking account from that point on are dollars, you're allowed to actually spend and have fun with. So if I have automated how much I'm putting into two savings accounts, or I've automated how much is going into my retirement savings and then my emergency savings and then my vacation savings, and then my, my car breaks down, it has hit the fan savings. Like Mm -hmm. I've automated what's going into all of those different buckets anything that I see sitting in my main checking account now I know I can go play with that. I can go, you know, buy Tesla or Bitcoin or whatever else I decide to just to to have some fun. And it's not going to impact my ability to hit all those other savings goals that I have.
3: All right. And then that takes us to number three, which I kind of think I understand what you're saying here. Don't go broke, trying not to look broke. (laughs) Right. like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I, I've kind of toyed around with that one a little bit. Chapter three may change to just because they approved before it doesn't mean you can afford it, but I just mm-hmm. don't go broke. Trying to not look broke just speaks to me a little bit better. I don't know, but it gets you to the same place, which is essentially just. If you're having to use credit. To get the thing, if you're having to use credit mm-hmm. to consume the way you're wanting to consume, it probably means that it's a conspicuous a thing that you're looking at buying and not a thing that you actually need and what i mean by that is i had a, an idea in my in my mind that because of covid and how much we're kind of stuck in the house and not really spending money in the ways we traditionally would i have more cash like accumulating than i normally would so i should allow myself like to actually go and buy a Canada Goose coat. And anybody who's ever lived in a cold weather place that knows anything (laughs) about Canada Goose knows, like that's more than a car payment that you're throwing at buying one of those jackets, right? 800, $1,000 in some cases. Wow. And I said like, I I just want it like there's no real rhyme or reason to it. I just I just want it. But then as I started to really think about it, I'm a person who doesn't like wearing coats. Like I do everything I can to avoid having to wear a coat. I'm going to park really close to where I'm going, turn Mm -hmm. the seat heaters on, turn the heat up, wear a thin sweater. And that's all I really need to be warm outside in 20 degree weather. At least that's how I explain it in my mind, which means I have five coats hanging up in the closet that I'll probably wear each of them twice each year. So then why would I go spend $800 on a new jacket for any reason other than to let people know that I could afford an $800 jacket if I want to? Yeah, that is me trying to not look broke. And that's what I'm kind of warning against is like consuming things just for the sake of trying to, to, to not look like a person who can't afford what they want is kind of hustling backwards in a way. And so. That's that's really what I I wanted to focus on. But then I started thinking about the fact that, like a lot of times that involves going into debt for that type of conspicuous consumption. Mm -hmm. And that's where the whole idea of just because you got approved for it doesn't mean you can afford it. Because just because I got approved for the Tesla at one hundred and ten thousand dollars doesn't mean I can actually afford the car payment that goes along with a one hundred and ten thousand dollar car. The bank's job is to get you a loan for as much as they possibly can
3: mm-hmm. and
2: justify it however they have to so that they can collect the most, the highest amount of interest from that transaction as possible. And so whatever metrics they have to use to get them through underwriting, that's it. That's all they need. But a lot of times, and this goes back to my experience working in the in the auto industry, people will say, well, if the bank approved me for it, that means I can afford it.
3: Mm-hmm. And
2: those two things are not necessarily
3: the same. All right. That takes us to number four, Malcolm. Number four, you have don't invest in things you don't actually understand, which sounds like really good advice. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And people who have been listening to me pontificate about personal finance since way back in the manager damn money days are used to hearing me say that, but it probably bears saying 50 more times after the the, the last two years that we had of the, the quote unquote Reddit rebellion and and folks following the Wall Street bets mm-hmm. crowd and getting financial advice from TikTokers and and all the other stuff that has culminated into the stock market that we currently have today. Um, I just think it's really important to understand one, whether you're investing or speculating and getting clear on those two very distinct differences, right? So if I'm investing, I'm actually putting money into a a vehicle, a venture that I think is going to bring me significantly more dollars than I have today in the long run, 12 months from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, that's an investment. If I'm speculating, I'm literally just throwing darts at a dartboard in some cases and Seeing if I can make money grow the same way I, if I play a hand or two of blackjack, Mm -hmm. I'm kind of just speculating on whether this hand is going to be better than the dealer's hand or the next one they deal me will be better than the dealer's hand. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I just think people need to be clear on that. But then separately from that, when you say you're investing in, in X, Y and Z, I get a lot of questions from people that the way they ask the question lets me know that they don't even know whether my answer is a good answer or not right so i get questions from people about cryptocurrencies or nfts or what is it uh NAO, daos uh, all that kind of stuff that's like the hot thing to talk about on social but you don't really get the underlying uh driving force that's going to turn that ten dollar investment into 20 or turn that ten dollar investment into zero that tells me that you have no no business being invested in in, in the first place and i don't mean that as a put down I, I mean that to say just stick to the rivers and the lakes that you're used to because there's so many other tried and true ways of earning money in the stock market that following the latest fad doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to make it out any better off than you would have been if you had just bought the S&P 500 index or the NASDAQ index or something mm-hmm. like
3: that. Did you just throw a TLC quote in this podcast? You caught that? Yeah. I, I, <laughs>
2: every once in a while,
3: I try and, try and mix it up. Yeah. No, that's good. I loved it. I, I identify with that. <laughs> All right. I love number five. I mean, this is, this is what the banks do, right? So number five is use other people's money.
2: Yeah. And what's interesting about it is it may sound to some people like it goes against what I said initially about, uh, not using credit to consume the, the whole conspicuous mm-hmm. consumption thing. So I just want to clarify when I say use other people's money, what I mean is to acquire assets, right? So if I'm a person who's looking to purchase a house, a lot of times people have been taught that debt is bad. And it, it if you think about it, in terms of that D word, it usually does sound like a bad thing. I, I have debt to go to school and it's easy for me to say this as a person who no longer has student loans, but I always make the case to my friends, you should think about your student loans through the context of what type of life would I have right now had I never racked up the loans that allowed me to go to school? Mm. If, if you never went to school and got the degree you have, what would be your lifestyle today? That is what we call leverage. You have leveraged the bank's money to allow you to acquire the thing, the asset, the education. And that is what you're paying back now under the terms of your agreement. And if you think about it using that same L word again, leverage, that is the way wealthier people usually tend to think about this D word debt. So if I'm a person who has a million dollars in uh, uh, liquid net worth and I want to acquire a second home, I can either take $500,000 for my own investable assets, my own liquid net worth and tie it up in a property for however long I intend to own that second house. Or I can go to the bank, use other people's money, borrow the majority of that $500,000, put it toward the purchase of that new property. Keep my money in the bank, my million dollar portfolio. Maybe I have to put 10% or 20% toward the purchase. So now I have 800,000 of my original million still in the bank. And that allows me the leverage. To be able to own the asset and also still have my investment portfolio my my liquid net worth that i just described Mm -hmm. that is the strategy of using other people's money and a lot of times people will say oh well if you have debt you owe people money you got to make interest payments that's all true but what i have found is the higher your credit score is the less it costs you to borrow Mm -hmm. and the more money you have the more assets you have the more banks are willing to lend to you to the point that they will fall over backwards to offer you more competitive interest rates because they want to be your banker of choice. And so anytime there's an opportunity to be your banker of choice, banks will compete against themselves with interest rates to get the opportunity to be your go-to place to, to apply this, this leverage. So it's just a difference in the mindset of the way people with significant sums of money think about quote unquote debt. They call it leverage versus people who don't have a history of uh, dealing with larger numbers. And they think debt's bad. Got to get the house paid off as quickly as possible. Got to use cash to make purchases of large assets instead of using my cash, which isn't necessarily going to get you where you ultimately want to get, or at least not nearly as fast as you would like to get there. Because as quickly as you're throwing out those dollars to acquire those assets, you are becoming less and less attractive on paper if you were to try later on to go get a loan from somebody to acquire the next asset. So that that's the essentials of using other people's money to get there rather than your own.
3: Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Number six, you say ask for stock instead of cash. Obviously, we're talking about uh, work here, right?
2: Yep. So that is I actually wrote a uh, Uh, blog post about this uh, at some point last year. I can't remember when, but it's probably one of the more popular uh, popular uh, posts on the site um, to date. And really what it is, it's two things happening at once. I don't know if you remember the episode we had with Amy Reback. I think it was number 16 uh, from Charles Schwab stock plan services, where she was educating me on the fact that there's a lot of companies even outside of the world of tech now. That are starting to offer their employees equity ownership in Mm -hmm. the company, because as the workforce skews younger, younger employees are requiring that as as part of their are asking for that as part of their requirement to come work for that company. And so that kind of opened up my mind to start reading a lot more about this. And what I've started to find is that uh, there are a number of companies that. Uh, have started to add in these stock plan services, uh, restricted stock units is usually what they're tacking on that that will allow people. These are manufacturing companies. These are life sciences companies, things like that, that want to attract millennial talent and obviously Gen Z behind them. And so it is becoming a bigger, more widespread and widely adopted uh, way of receiving compensation. And so I just want to make sure that people understand that there comes a point in your working life, uh, if you're so fortunate, That you asking for an additional dollar of compensation isn't going to really be life changing anymore. You get to, say, two hundred thousand dollars of income as an individual person. You're in a tax bracket that if you include federal and state taxes in there, the government is getting 40 to 50 percent of what you earn after a point. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that dollar has a diminishing. Rate of return. So every dollar above X threshold, I just said 200,000, but uh, say it's two hundred and one thousand dollars every every dollar above 200 suddenly has a diminishing rate of return because the government's going to take more and more of it. However, if you were to ask for that same additional dollar in the form of stock in the company. It has the potential to grow significantly more down the road than what that dollar would be worth to you today. So if I am working for Google, just to throw out an example, and I'm making $200,000 of base salary, and then I say, I'm up for this promotion and uh, I'd love an extra $10,000, you know, in my pocket, but that $10,000 isn't really going to move the needle in a way that's going to help me live a really improved life. Instead, I'd like $10,000 of Google stock. As part of my compensation, that $10,000 has the potential to grow over 10 years to $20,000 or $30,000 or $50,000. Who knows? But it would be worth much more to me down the road than it would be today in the form of an additional dollar of compensation. And Mm so. What I've also found in making that case to people and being asked to prove my theory is that companies are also more willing to part with additional shares of stock than they are additional dollars because they get accounted for differently on the the profit and loss statement. And so where you may have asked for ten thousand dollars of cash, extra salary and been and and been approved for been awarded it, the company may be willing to offer you twenty, twenty five, thirty thousand dollars extra in the form of stock. And now you've got significantly more in value coming in into your piggy bank because you're getting it in the form of stock, which is not dollars that are going to hit their bottom line the same way today. So to me, that is where people should be moving as their focus turns to getting paid in equity. It should also be turning to. Understanding and appreciating the value of getting your compensation in the form of additional equity every time you go up for a new promotion or you're looking for a new job instead of asking for additional cash that's going to get taxed every which way and is really not going to add very much more to your quality of life in the short term because you're already making enough that you're living the life that you want to be living anyway
3: yeah I remember that podcast, and I remember you guys discussing how how much easier it is for a company to give stock instead of cash, yeah and so that makes perfect sense all right number seven, you say financial independence doesn't happen on accident,
2: yeah, yeah, so this one I actually have given this. I'm going to call it Ted talk for lack of a better way to say it Um, (laughs) a a, a million times. This is one of my go-to's when people say, Hey, we need a speaker for this, this event. Can you come in and, and talk to our folks? Because I've noticed that this really gets people leaning forward in their seat. And so what I mean, when I say financial independence doesn't happen on accident is literally just, you know, well, let me stop and explain what I mean by financial independence. Right. I don't mean that you're retired and you never work a day in your life ever again. What I mean is you've reached a point in accumulating assets and and, in accumulating money in the bank that you have all of the options you want. So maybe I am working full time in a job that requires me to work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week. But it's also where i want to be it's not where i am because financially i need Mm -hmm. to be here and so maybe my financial independence point is i need to be able to travel six times a year for a week at a time and my job is going to be there when i get back okay or maybe your thing is i need to be able to uh never work another day in my life full-time part-time or otherwise and having the assets to support the income that allows me to do that is my financial independence point okay that's fine you define it how you define it and then you determine your plan to get there but what i want to make sure that people understand is that just by saying it doesn't guarantee that it's going to happen it's a series of seemingly small decisions that happen on a daily basis that add up to this lifestyle that we're talking about so going back to paying yourself first. Um, Making sure that you're avoiding conspicuous consumption, that that you're going broke, trying to not look broke, those kind of things. Making sure that you're making these smart decisions all along the way that ultimately will add up to getting you to that point sooner and faster than it would if you just kind of hope that it happens to you on accident. We can hope that we save our way into having enough assets that that we have. uh, uh, walk away money, but some people will call it, um, or we can be diligent about identifying what that number is. That's going to get us there, identifying what that point actually looks like for us. And then on an annual basis, a quarterly basis, a monthly basis, taking stock and making sure that the decisions that we're making on a regular basis are moving in the right direction to get us to that point.
3: All right. I mean, again, Having a plan right you've talked about that before That that makes perfect sense Yeah Uh, number nine sorry Not number nine number eight we're on number Eight I love this iron sharpens Iron what do you mean by that
2: yeah. So essentially what I mean is find your tribe, right? Like there you go. it's very easy to go. Uh, it's very easy to say I'm going to I, I pick this book up. I think this guy Malcolm is a genius and he's saying some things that really resonate with me. And I'm going to go off and and change the way that I think about money. And I'm going to go off and, and work toward my financial independence point and do all these things that that I've, I've now agreed with. It's much easier to do. If you're going with a group of people who see the world the same way that you do. Mm -hmm. And so by finding your tribe, it allows you to also have a feedback loop of people who are validating. The reason that we're making these decisions, these sacrifices, all the others is because we're trying we're all trying to get to this place. Right. It's the reason that the fire movement, financial independence, retire early is a movement like there are actual conferences that have happened around the country of people who have come together from reading a book or two that sparked some some idea in their head that said, I want to do this, too. I want to be retired at 30 and live in the band life or whatever. Right. Having that tribe and that group of people who are also just as apt as you are at learning these financial concepts, applying them to your lives where pro- where possible. And then you can kind of share ideas, best practices, make each other smarter, all that kind of thing. It's making sure that you understand that you can learn from other people doing the same things that you are and get there a lot faster than if you try and go it alone and, you know, you're at the, the, the mercy of whether you choose to, to do it right today or tomorrow or the next day, right? If you're working out with a group that's holding you accountable for your, your weight loss journey, you're more likely to stay on that journey than if you're doing it alone in your garage. And today you just don't feel like it today. You want to mm-hmm. eat ice cream. That's probably what you're going to end up doing. So it's just taking that same concept and applying it here.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And those people, since they all are kind of of a like mind, they're going to be your cheerleaders, right? No matter yep. what kind of what you're trying to accomplish, everybody's trying to go toward that goal. When they see you have successes, they're going to be right there with you to celebrate that. And I, th- I think that's positive reinforcement, obviously, is incredibly powerful. So that, that's yeah. a great one. I love that. All right. Number nine. I like this one, too. <laughs> Cover your assets. Yep. What's yeah, that all about? That, yeah, that one is,
2: is, is very clear in the sense that the focus is, has been up to this point building assets right it's Mm -hmm. been taking a series of steps that lead up to you building up this this pool of assets this portfolio of assets however you want to say it that are going to allow you a better life tomorrow than than you're living today or a more comfortable life tomorrow than you're living today however you want to think about it but then there's also the side that needs to be covered against it hits the fan and usually Mm -hmm. the way to do that is through insurance whether it's life insurance or disability insurance or homeowner's insurance or General liability and umbrella insurance, whatever it is, the point is to transfer the cost of those catastrophic losses over to someone else and then you rest easy. So uh, the house that I'm talking about, the automobile that I'm talking about, those are the things that we normally think about is kind of common. Like I need to have insurance to cover against this. Um, but what about your income? If something were to happen to you and you're not able to work full time for a significant period of time? Or what about if if your dog gets loose and bites somebody and now you're getting sued and other side is coming after your personal assets? Those kind of things like now you're hustling backwards. You're working harder to get back to where you were before this even happened, and it could have been taken care of by simply paying a very small portion of your income or a very small portion of what the outcome of that bad situation would have been on a monthly or annual basis or whatever and transferring that risk over to someone else. Mm -hmm. In this case, it'd be an insurance company. And so just making sure that, again, you understand the value of having insurance on all of the different things that you have going on keeps you from suffering those big wipeouts uh, if and when, you know, life happens.
3: Yeah. All right. Number 10, we're bringing this plane in for landing here. Leave a will, not a bill.
2: Yeah. So that one, I think, is probably very self-explanatory, right? You want to make sure that... There's no if to it. When mm-hmm. you leave this earth, we all got to go sometime. We're not also hampering our next generation. And so we want to make sure that things are properly titled. We want to make sure that uh, things are properly communicated to the people who stand to not only inherit assets, but also have to clean up our, uh, they say, get your affairs in order the people who are going to have to clean up our affairs after the fact. And so One of the most devastating, like heartbreaking things that I see in the seat that I sit in as a a financial planner is folks who have done the hard work of building a significant uh, pile of assets, right? a significant portfolio of assets. They've they spent a lifetime creating. But then the one or two small things that needed to be done to make sure that those assets transition to the next generation properly didn't happen for whatever reason. And now we've got a significant portion of that money going to the government through through the form of taxes. Or Mm -hmm. we've got family members who weren't part of your plan now sinking their teeth into those assets, too. Right. Uh, I've told the story on this show before about the client that I have that uh, didn't realize that she didn't change her beneficiary designations following her divorce. And so uh, by law, if something were to happen to her, everything that she had in her uh, retirement savings would have passed on to her ex-husband simply because by law, that's what has to happen uh, based on what your beneficiary designations are Mm -hmm. and something as simple as changing a few documents on a, on a few different accounts makes that difference. Mm -hmm. You worked all your life, saved diligently, avoided, you know, conspicuous consumption and living below your means and all those things. And something as simple as writing the right name on this document, would have been the difference between your money going where you didn't intend it to. Right. So just making sure that we've properly set up a plan that takes care of things after we're gone. And then also making sure that the money flows to where it's supposed to go for debts that we might have uh, as well, so that we're not literally leaving a bill for the person who's coming behind us to clean up uh, as well, because that's a whole other one that creates issues among families and, and, Mm -hmm. and such.
3: Yeah, and you don't want to leave that for sure. You don't want to leave issues either. Yeah. Well, this has been Malcolm's ten financial commandments, but unlike the original ten commandments, <laughs> there's an eleventh one. You've got <laughs> Malcolm. You've got a bonus. You want to tell him what the bonus is? Yeah, I couldn't help myself. I, uh, I, I couldn't quite figure out
2: how to land this plane. Yeah, and as you know, in, in production, something always ends up on the cutting room floor. So I'm not sure exactly where we have to go to to smooth this out. But another one that I have in my mind that's equally as important as the rest is get clear on your tax situation. So, mm, yes, for me, understanding your tax situation um, goes beyond knowing how much you'll owe uh, or receive as a refund every year. Right. It's about understanding how all of the pieces. On the board interact with each other and which levers you can pull to help create your desired outcome so the importance of knowing how an additional dollar in income will impact your overall tax bill and which types of income are the best so where i was talking about asking for stock instead of more cash that's a great example of we've reached the point where we've hit the top of our tax bracket, right? And any additional $1 that comes in today is gonna do X, Y, and Z to our tax situation. So maybe there's a better way for us to receive this income that is gonna benefit us in the long run or uh, using an oppor- using it as an opportunity to talk about like real assets, real estate. The tax code is set up to reward you for owning, having an interest in business, uh, in a in a business or in a piece of real estate versus being actively employed and earning income through W2. So maybe it's an opportunity to look at shifting some of that in that direction. Right. So just making sure that you really understand the interplay of how all of your different assets and incomes are working together, uh, either for you or against you and learning how to kind of turn the levers as you move throughout life to to create the, just the best outcome for you financially, because. I've never once come across any person who said the thing I really want to accomplish in in developing a financial plan is paying the government more of my income. Right. (laughs) Nobody says that. No,
3: no. And if they do, then there's some mental things going on. There. Anyway, that's just my opinion. That is not an opinion of the podcast or Malcolm. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> Malcolm, this has been fantastic. I mean, this, yeah. this is great. I know that uh, I'm looking forward to receiving a hard copy of the book if there are hard copies. Um, if not, I'll be downloading it and, and I'll be uh, reading it online. Uh, but yeah, I got to
2: get I'm, you to record the audible version, man. You got the, there you you got go. the voice for it.
3: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm game. Let's do that. Uh thank you. Any anything else before we wrap up today's podcast?
2: No, that's it. I think it did a great job of not giving away too much. Um I hope. Um, so that people will actually have a reason to be anticipating the uh the actual finished version.
3: There you go. And if anybody has any questions about the content of this podcast and you don't want to wait for the book, reach out to Malcolm. Malcolm, how can they get a hold of
2: you? Uh yeah, it's simple. It's podcast at tech dash money dot com. Uh we welcome all your questions, comments uh, concerns, uh, kudos. Uh, I won't say complaints. We'll probably just delete those, but uh, anything else with a C we'll take it.
3: You can send those to me, send the complaints to me. I'll ditch them for you. (laughs) All right, Malcolm. Thank you so much, man. This has been great. And of course we want to thank you, the listener for tuning in and listening to the tech money podcast with Malcolm Etheridge. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when Malcolm comes out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. We humbly ask that you share this podcast and leave a review, as this will help others find this show. You can connect with Malcolm on social at Malcolm on Money, and we'd love to hear from you. And like Malcolm said, we'll answer any questions you have, and you can do that by emailing them to podcast at tech-money.com. Thanks again for listening today. For everyone at Tech Money, our hope is that this show helped make you a little smarter about your money.
1: This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out malcolmetheridge.com slash podcast. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is malcolmetheridge.com. You can also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing and sound controls powered by Proudmouth. This has been a Malcolm on Money original. Thank you for listening.